Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. MallardBay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable, and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. And also buy Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. I'm your host, Joe Bai, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. But today we're talking about no-till drills, and these things look pretty complicated. Have you ever seen one in use? I have never seen one in use, and I'm really not sure what I'm getting into here. <laughs> well, I did uh, enjoy you and I did the podcast with Grant, and he he talked about a lot of the economic and environmental benefits. You know, just how rich the soil was and the proving grounds. You know, some of the things that he has done there has been incredible. When you look at, you know, how much carbon it puts off whenever you plow the earth and things like that. You and I have looked at a little bit like that. It's definitely something to pay attention to, man. It's something to uh, to explore. Definitely. And when you like, when you listen to Grant Woods talk and you you hear him espouse the benefits of soil health, you know, for the environment, for the people, for the wildlife. It almost seems like utopic, like you can't even imagine it, but I've seen it. I mean, I've seen where he has built soil on top of rocks using the methods, the no-till methods and regenerative agricultural methods that, that he uses. And no-till drills are a big part of that. I mean, he'll be the first person to tell you, you can do it without a drill, but the results are not going to be as good as they will be with a drill. And so if you're going to take this serious and this is something you're going to get into, and for the long haul, I think you're just going to end up wanting to get into a drill. So today we're going to be diving into the details of that, what you need to think about in terms of sizing, row spacing, materials, construction quality, service after the sale. I mean, all this stuff plays into it. There's a bunch of options out there. There's stuff that's cheap. There's stuff that's expensive. We're going to find out if you're getting what you're paying for, uh, but really just what to look at overall. Uh, if you're out in the market, you're thinking about a no-till drill, need to think about these things we're going to talk about today. To do that, we're talking with Paul Hollis of RTP Outdoors. They are the makers of the Genesis No-Till Drill. Paul, welcome to Huntland. You know, before we jump into the meat and potatoes on no-till drills, really trying to learn what we need, best practices, those types of things. First off, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about uh, your role with the company. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Glad to be here. I've been an executive vice president with our company for 26 plus years. Uh, our company was founded in, in 1980, and the backbone of our company is actually turf grass equipment or turf grass maintenance equipment. So uh, aerators, seeders, 
sweepers. We get into synthetic turf a little bit, into side farming a little bit. But uh, that, that's how we kind of hooked up with Grant Woods. We've got a, a great reputation in the golf course and sports turf market. And uh, one of the guys who works for me, a guy named Michael Moyer, actually goes to church with Danny Little from Redneck Hunting Blinds. And Danny hooked us up with Grant. Grant was looking for somebody to build uh, a no-till planter for, for food plots. And they hooked us up. I, first time I met with Grant was at the ATA show in, oh, 2013 or 14, I believe. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, I'm interested in having a, a no-till planter. We've tried all these other things. It won't work on my rocky soils. You know, regenerative farming is the way way of the future. So I drove down to see him, took some some of our existing turf equipment to him and said, hey, what do you think about these? And he picked one unit. He said, I think we can work with this. And seven prototypes later, we came out with the <laughs> Genesis. But it was a good learning experience. But I've been with the company for, like I said, for 26 years. And uh, it's been a great experience. Very cool. I mean, when you're talking about food plots, there's going to be some unique challenges uh, that you may or may not have if you're dealing, you know, say with agricultural fields and same with turf grass. I'm sure there's unique challenges in dealing with those as well. Before we jump into those though, you mentioned it, you know, you're talking about regenerative agriculture and that's a big, big trend. And uh, hopefully it's a big trend in the right direction. I think a lot of hunters are starting to pay more attention to the health of the soil and the areas that they're putting in food plots. They're starting to really want better results than what they're getting and, and realizing that that, that is the answer, um, is, is really paying attention to the soil. So kind of thinking along those lines, what do you, what do you see as the biggest no, uh, biggest benefits to, to no-till food plotting for the food plotters themselves? Yeah. For the food plotters themselves, it really comes down to, to time management. You know, you're in the field a lot less, you've got less inputs, there's all kinds of other benefits, soil erosion and uh, better yield and things like that. But it really comes down to time management. You know, you're in, uh, you're going to plant and, and you're out. You're not doing all the prep work. You're not mowing, you're not spraying, you're not tilling, you know, all those extra steps. And if you're like me, you know, you're the average weekend warrior. You've only got, you know, a day or here and there, a few yeah. hours here and there to get it done. So, you know, if I can go in, you know, and I can crimp my my food plots, which I do. Uh, if I can crimp and plant in the same day, uh, or you know, one weekend I crimp, the next weekend I plant, it's a real time saver for me. And with having a family with kids and stuff, that that means a lot. I'm not, you know, I don't have have uh, a lot of help. I don't have a farm manager. I don't have interns. I don't have, you know, family that helps me with it. It's it's me, and and that time management is the the big thing that I see as a benefit. There's no doubt about that. I mean, every time I yeah. go to the camp, it is a list a mile long. I never finish everything I want to finish. And I know some people really like that time on the tractor. I do too. You know, I really do enjoy running the tractor, but you know, just this past weekend, you know, I just, we're putting in fire breaks. We're trying to get ready for a prescribed fire. We're running trap lines. I mean, every time, every bit of time that I can save is something I can put towards something else. It's not going to be, be me sitting back at the camp, you know, chilling by the fire. I'm going to put that into some other type of habitat work. Uh, and that's a big deal when you are trying to get this work done on the weekends. Um, well, and 90% of us don't live within two hours or three hours of our property too, especially yeah. down here in South Alabama. We're always uh, traveling somewhere and that eats up a ton of time too. Well, and I think too, you know, you think about planting season, whether that's 
this spring or going into next fall. I mean, how many times are you trying to time it around around a rain? rain you know, you're trying right. to get it in all all trying to get it all in right before a good rain and or then things don't quite line up. So you mentioned this, you know, you mentioned the uh, erosion as being one benefit uh, in terms of overall environment. What are some of those other benefits to no-till food plotting? I mean, I, I think about that, just the fact that you don't have to be quite as accurate in terms of timing it around a moisture event. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that's right. And 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 if I had to pick a number two, uh, the biggest benefit of food plotters is cost. Yeah. You know, lower cost of fuel, lower cost of inputs. If, if you're following the Grant uh, Woods method uh, where you're crimping and planting, you're in the field a lot less. You're not you're not buying as much in the way of herbicides as much as in the way in the fertilizer. So you've got a lot less steps, a lot less uh, inputs, a lot of cost. Um, you know, the just from a biological soil biological standpoint, you know, uh, the soil conservation is so much better with no-till. You know, and everybody's afraid of glyphosate these days. So if you can stay away from that, that's a good thing. I was listening to a podcast the other night and they were talking about how how much uh chemical actually ends up into our diet the average person mm-hmm. how much they ingest from their food system you know and if you're talking about the benefits uh of, to the food plotter if you look at it towards wildlife as well everything starts with the soil you know everything that's in that soil transfers to that plant the plant transfers to the to your deer your turkey whatever wildlife you're 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 hunting or you're you know, you're creating habitat for that ends up into your, your system, you know, and it makes you a healthier individual. If you're trying to do that, uh, I won't say organically, but kind of, you are doing it organically. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, you are what you eat and mm-hmm. that fact. goes for the stuff we're eating, but also the stuff that we're eating is eating. So healthy soil is, is going to lead to that. I, I just, to me, I, again, I go back to, I mean, it's awesome the benefits to wildlife, it's, it's it's really good to see benefits to the overall environment in terms of conserving soil. You're not having that, there's erosion problems. Um, you know, you're less, you're less drought prone, uh, when you're keeping that, that soil covered, but the time savings for me, you know, one essentially, you know, if you're crimping and, and drilling, you're, you got two past plantings in the spring. And then a lot of times in the fall, you're just drilling right into your existing vegetation. So you can literally have a one pass planting. A lot of guys are not going to know what to do with themselves, not getting to run their tractor as much. So, <laughs> yeah. but you, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, holding, you know, your water conservation, that's another big one, but you know, a lot of people are into, um, you know, the, the, what do you call it? Uh, gosh, the, the temperature. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, soil temperature, just keeping that temperature down and not killing those microbes. Yeah, one of the other big benefits is is the ecological or the environmental impact that that no-till does. You're taking carbon out of the air, you're you're conserving soil, you're reducing soil temps, uh, and you're also helping with global warming. You know, in the Netherlands, I just read a story in the Netherlands that they're they're overloaded with cattle over there. And now they're concerned because the environment over there is is heating up more rapid than it is in, in other areas of Europe. Uh, they got all this CO2 in the air and they're blaming it on the cattle. So now the environmentalist, I forget the name of the association over there, but their way of, of reducing that is cover crops, no-till farming, because mm-hmm. everything's tillage over there. So 
there's there's so much benefit to the environment, you know, from from the no-till uh, planning aspect. We've talked about it at length with with Dr. Grant Woods um, on this podcast in the past. I mean, we can you could put several shows together just talking about the benefits to to the food plotters themselves, to the wildlife, to the ecology, the environment. I mean, you can go on and on and on. But ultimately, if you want to do this, the most efficient way to do this is with a no-till drill. Um, I've, I've done it other ways, you know, I've done it by broadcasting and using herbicides and things of that nature, but the results, uh, you can get an okay result, but it's not going to be as good as it will be as precise as it will be with a drill. So getting into that, you know, there's, there's of course those different ways you can do it. Why do you think that most people end up wanting to invest the money in a drill versus those other methods? What do you see, uh, as being the, the real reason behind going ahead and taking the step up into a drill? I think it's education, to be quite honest. And, and not to say they're not educated, but, you know, if you look at generation after generation of, of, of conventional tillage, that's the way we learned from our grandparents. And that's the way people have done it for generations. And that's not to say that it won't work, because it will work. It may not work the same, but it does work. You can go out and till, you can go out and disc. You can throw seed out on the ground. You can spray a plot and go, you know, throw out, throw and grow. It, it will work. But once you educate yourself and you start to see, you know, I'm putting more fertilizer in this year. I'm getting more weeds. I've got to spray more. Once you start to educate yourself on soil conservation and what your, what your impact is on that soil, that's when people start looking at no-till and they start listening to people like Grant and, and some of the guys in the ag world and, and they want to step up, you know, and it might not be immediate, but there's a definite momentum worldwide. I talked to people today from Chile, Taiwan, from Japan. Oh, and uh, from Georgia, not the state Georgia, but Georgia over by Russia. So, you know, it's, it's a growing, uh, it's a growing thing. Uh, and people are starting to be concerned with, with soil conservation and regenerative farming. You know, I go back to what you said in the beginning about the benefits to the food plotter and those time savings. And you can put together a no-till food plot by applying herbicide, broadcasting seed, you know, broadcasting fertilizer and those things that you will have to do to have a decent food plot. And you aren't tilling, but it takes a lot of time. I mean, I've mm -hmm. been doing it. You know, you got to go spray and then you're going to miss some spots. So you got to go back and spray again. Nope. You really need to, you know, try to broadcast into that standing vegetation before you spray. If you've got too much vegetation, you may end up needing to burn. Then you're going to have to make, instead of having one or two pass plantings, you're going to be making many, many, many passes, burning more fuel. And the big thing, even beyond the fuel and the added expense is just getting up there and doing it. You know, if you don't live on your property, uh, being able to get up there and get it done at the right time, um, it can be a big challenge. I mean, it happened to us, Butch and I had to reseed everything at my place this year um, because we got it in what we thought was big rain coming, big rain event coming, and then it just didn't come. And for a long time, <laughs> then it didn't rain for like 45 days. So yeah, turkeys yeah. got fed really well with some yeah. high quality seed and we went back up and, and redid it. And so I, I think that that's the big thing for me is that time savings and, and wanting to really be able to take advantage of that. There are some other benefits, of course, to using a drill beyond those other methods. But 
I definitely think if you get into this, you see the you see the value of no-till food plotting, you're going to eventually want to get into a drill. So let's figure out the right one. We need to be thinking about the right drill for, for our piece of land and also for maybe the tractor that we've got. So when somebody you know says they want to buy a drill, they don't know how to choose, what kind of questions do you want them to ask themselves and, and really be thinking about to get them into the right model? Well, the, the key for us, the first question is, what, what are you trying to achieve? You know, and once you kind of get past that, you know, when, when it comes to no-till, it seems like everybody's got the same questions. You know, what can it plant? You know, what size tractor? Can it plant corn? Can it plant clover? You know, the, the basic questions are always the same. What, what, but we have to do in, in selling no-till equipment and ask them is what is their application? Because every application is different. Every soil type is different. The terrain is different. The amount of moisture they get is different. So we, we try to narrow it down. What are you trying to achieve? And try to learn more about that customer and what, what is it they're trying to achieve? You know, are they doing hidey hole food plots? Are they doing, you know, 20 acre food plots? You know, do they want to, do they want to consider crimping? Do they want to get away from spraying? You know, are they just wanting to go out and put a five acre plot of corn? Try to learn more about that customer, what their needs, you know, their needs are, their application. And once we learn that, we can then progress to where we're asking them, okay, what what seed types are you planting? How many times a year are you planting? What kind of power unit do you have? Are you using a tractor, a UTV? You know, so it's really more finding out more about the customer. The the answers for our questions are, are usually pretty easy. It's just finding out more from that customer about what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, what I may want to do in the coastal plain of Alabama, where I literally have no topography on my land, it's flat as a pancake, but I do I do deal with some wet soils and things of that nature may be totally different than, you know, what Grant's thinking about in the Ozarks planting into mm-hmm. the rocks up there. So when when you, you mentioned guys wanting to plant hidey holes versus planting really big fields. That was one thing that I was thinking, how heavy is this thing? I mean, we, we, when I'm planting my food plots, it's got to be pretty darn dry or you'll get really, really stuck. And I've been bogged down several times with plows and discs and things like that. Are there any weight? Is there any weight concerns whenever you're talking about this? Absolutely. Yeah. To to be a no-till planter, you're, you're pushing discs that are closely spaced in the ground. So you've got to have weight. Um, There are people that call themselves or companies that call themselves no-till but if you don't see the weight, they're not going to be able to get that seed in the ground. So some people, you know, don't realize that even like a, a Genesis three, a three foot drill, that's 1200 pounds. Wow. So you're, you're getting into the 25 and 35 horsepower tractor. And then sometimes that, that won't even work, but you know, you, you mentioned times and savings that that's one of the other cus- things that we ask customers is what kind of time do you have? Excuse me, because if you have a, a farm like mine and you're the only person and you've got, you know, eight acres or 15 acres, you know, you might be going there thinking you're going to plant this weekend, but you get there and a tree fell or you got to check your cameras or, you know, fence broke or gate broke or these things. So time savings, you're, you're right. That's a that's an important question to ask someone. What's their window of planting and how much do they have to plant and when do they have to plant? Yeah. Thinking about those time savings, you know, I would first thing that come to my mind is the wider the better, because I'm going to be able to plant more acres and fewer passes. Is there a rule of thumb on that though? I mean, of course your tractor's got to be able to pick it up. 
But, you know, do you say, all right, Joe, how many acres of food plots are you going to plant? I'll tell you, all right, we're going to be planting 11 acres this year. Is that where you could say, all right, you're going to be fine with our, our narrowest model. You're going to be able to get that done in, in a weekend. Or if your tractor can handle it, do you always want to go wider? I always tell people the bigger, the better, you know, yeah. but it all comes down to budget as well. You know, sometimes people don't have the budget to go bigger or they don't have the tractor to go bigger. They don't have a place to store it. So you, you've got to, you know, learn more about the customer. You know, sometimes people will sacrifice size and try to plant over two or three weekends and, and try to go with a smaller unit. But we, we typically say the bigger, the better, the, if you can afford it, if you have the tractor, uh, you're going to get more done with a bigger one. You know, I, when I think about buying anything, and it's happened to me a lot, I just tend to be the guy that starts out with the the base model. I'll start out with the cheaper model. Yeah. And it's happened to me more times than I can count that I get a little bit of time on the machine or the thing that I bought. And I realize, you know what? I wouldn't miss that extra money if I I really wish I'd have gotten the bigger one or the better one or whatever it may be. Do you see that happen a lot? Like where guys would they buy the narrow model and when they, they could have afforded more and then they're like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to step up to the, go ahead and get a bigger model. Yeah. We see that a lot. If you, if you go onto a lot of the forums on social media or, you know, see kind of follow different people, you'll see that there's a lot of that. I'm guilty of that in my personal life, especially when you're a younger guy and you're not maybe making as much as you, you could, you're not married or you're not, you know, you're not making as much money as you could, or you're going to, I don't know how many sprayers and spreaders and different things I have in my barn where I thought, okay, this is my answer. I can do this cheap and no till is not cheap. There's, there's no question. It's not cheap, but you know, it's going to last you a lifetime where a lot of times you're, I mean, I, I, I can think of four sprayers I have in my, my barn and I've wasted a lot of money on sprayers and spreaders and different mowers and different things that I thought if I, if this will work for me and I can save some money, but sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and make the investment. Yep. So we mentioned width a little bit and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i uh, I'm a novice at this. Certainly I uh, will not be afraid to admit that. What are you getting whenever you go to a wider, bigger model? I, We've talked about being able to plant more acreage with that. Are there multiple drills within that piece of machinery? No, we, we've got different widths of machines. We've got a three-foot machine, a five-foot machine, an eight-foot machine, a 10-foot machine. Ideally, your machine is going to be wider than your tractor, so you're not running uh, the tractor tires uh, over over where you, uh, you have it okay. planted. So that, that's kind of a one. If there is a rule of thumb, that would be one of them. But that's not always applicable. Some people, you know, have a big tractor and a little drill, you know, it, it'll work, but yeah, it's all about productivity. You're going to get more done the, the wider you go. So Paul, thinking about that, um, also just think about that, that cutting width, that, that row width, you know, obviously if you've got a three foot or a five foot or an eight foot model, the, the wider you go, the more rows you get, the more planning you can get done in, in less amount of time. But if we're looking at drills and comparing drills, does that matter? that much? I mean, are we going to, are we looking for a certain spacing when we're talking about food plotting versus guys that are out there planting corn and soybeans? Yeah. If you, if you look at our drills, uh, and most of the, the, the ag drills here in America, most of them are going to be at seven and a half inch spacing. A uh, reason that for that is because most of the combine heads are going to be at 15 or 22 inches. So 
most things that you see uh, that are domestic are going to be at that spacing. We see some machines that are six inch or nine inch um, spacing. Typically, those are coming from India or China somewhere. They use different harvesting equipment over there. Is the spacing important? Um, yeah, it depends on the application. You know, a lot of the the big, like the John Deere seed drills, they're they're planting at 15 inches. If you're planting corn, yeah, that's great. Soybeans, that's great. If you're planting clover or brassicas, yeah, that's a problem because you're going to have to make multiple passes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely got to be a consideration when you're when you're looking to buy a, a no-till drill. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. You mentioned that a lot of these questions are the same. Um, we can get into some of these. I mean, thinking about seed sizes, I mean, I'm sure you get that a lot. Well, I like to plant, you know, soybeans and corn, but also like to plant clover and brassicas. I mean, is there anything you cannot plant with a no-till drill? Uh, if I'm honest, yeah, native, native seeds, a lot of native seeds, a lot of pollinators, if they're light and hairy, mm -hmm. fluffy, if you will, we have issues. Uh, yeah, yeah. and most, most competitors have issues as well. Uh, there's some people who have native seed boxes and we're actually working on one, but those seeds like to ball up and, and they won't drop, uh, they bridge, uh, but your, your normal seeds, um, your clovers, your corns, your you know, your soybeans, anything like that, we don't have any issues with. Uh, and to be honest, we get those questions and sometimes they're seeds I've never heard of. You know, some lady has some special kind of mustard she was asking me about the other day. Uh, we get people ask us about pumpkins and sunflowers and just, and that that's one of the the strange things uh, about being in, in, in this end of the business and trying to find out what that customer's doing. You know, one of the questions we ask, what, what are you planting? And Every region of the United States seems to plant something different. You know, down south, they're more into chicory and chufa and these kind of things. Up north, they're planting something totally different. If you talk to someone down in South America, it's completely different. So we spend a lot of time looking up seeds and trying to learn about the seed sizes, how round they are, how well they flow, and making sure that we get people into the right machine. You mentioned it earlier. It's not always about tractors either. Are there any special considerations for folks that want to try to do this with a UTV? A uh, big thing is is terrain, terrain and and uh, the the size. You know, we recommend an eight hundred cc unit. Really, if you, it's not to say you couldn't do get away with getting a, a smaller unit, but when you get down to the smaller UTVs, and you know, some people have we don't advocate it, but some people actually use an ATV. If you're on flat ground, you can probably get away with that. But any terrain problem you have is, is that drill, a Genesis 3 uh, empty is 1,200 pounds. You add a tow kit, you add a, a hopper full of seed, you're up 15, 1,600 pounds. You're going downhill, you're not going to stop. Mm. Uh, and if you're trying to go up big hills, that's a lot of pull on that power unit. Uh, you know, we just want people to be safe, you know, 
we want you want you to be able to stop and we don't want you to be going uphill and burn on a transmission start rolling backwards you yeah. know it's a, to us it's about safety yeah same if there's a way to break it i will break it out on <laughs> out, oh, on, yeah. my, out on my yeah. place i'm, I'm good same. at it so you, you also mentioned that there are other options out there that are being called no-till drills but in reality they're a seed drill uh, mm-hmm. if, if if i heard that right what differentiates the two? So if we're out, you mentioned the weight, right? Like if we see something that's light, it's going to have a hard time getting through that existing vegetation layer or even just into that soil if it's not, you know, very moist and very easy to, you know, if it's hard, it's not going to get through. Besides the weight, what what really differentiates a seed drill from a no-till drill? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, there is no true definition of, of any of those names. A lot of that is marketing. Mm-hmm. What I try to tell people, a no-till by definition is a machine that can put seed into the ground, plant seed, without disturbing the soil, without any any kind of tillage. Some people will try to sell a lighter weight unit as a, no, as a no-till, but they have to prep the ground first. They have to till it. They have to mm-hmm. disc it. They have to, they have to disturb the soil in, in some manner. We typically call that a min-till, and some, some people call it a, a seed drill. Seed drill, to me, is more of an agriculture term. Um, people know seed drill from John Deere. Most of those drills, you're going to see a big tillage unit out in an ag field that's going to till it, and then they're going to come in with that drill later. And it's not a, it, it is a drill, but it's not a true no-till drill. And, and a lot of it's about definition. You know, everybody seems like every region too has a, has a different de- definition of a no-till. And some people try to tell me that if you don't, if you don't have wavy coulters in front of your machine, that you're not a no-till. Well, but to me, by definition, if you put the seed in the ground using disc and you don't disturb the soil, you're a, you're a no-till. You're a no-till. That makes sense. As Joe mentioned, we like to break the break things. Uh, <laughs> ground can be tough. I mean, your, your food plot and, you know, you're always going through some mud, always going through some things. Things tend to tear up. They sit in the barn. You know, it could be a while before you use them again. What are some things that you do differently with your equipment to make them last longer? The big thing with us is 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 ours because they're so heavy built. There's not... There's not a lot in the way of maintenance. A lot of uh, the stuff sealed, sealed bearings and things like that. So there are a few grease points in running the units in different terrain and such. We do try to tell people, you know, adapt your speed, uh, the operation of the tractor to your terrain. If your terrain's rough, it's rocky, you know, it's bouncy, slow down. Don't make a lot of turns. If you're making 90 degree turns and you've got 13 sets of disc in the ground. That's a lot of torque on a machine. You know, other than our packing wheels, we really have no grease points. You know, we tell people to check your nuts and bolts, you know, um, things like that, because there's a lot of vibration running those machines across the field. You might not see it in that, that air supported seat or that spring supported seat in the tractor. That machine's getting, getting beat up pretty bad. It's a, it's a hard life. So we try to make the machines user friendly. And a lot of our a lot of our customer base isn't a conventional, you know, ag farmer. A lot of guys are attorneys or they're businessmen. We get a lot of a lot of pizza restaurant owners for some some odd reason. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Which, you know, they always <laughs> want to know if they can trade pizza for a drill. But um, so we like you know, pizza. Yeah, we try to make it user friendly if we if we can. You know, make the calibration simple. 
uh, not a lot of maintenance, just, just make it, you know, user-friendly. Yeah. You, you talking about that, I think too, guys may be looking into the used market and just thinking about that. If you're looking at a drill, is there anything you should be inspecting? Like, do you, you see some common failure points? Like you mentioned that, that torque, you know, from turning, is there anything people really need to be looking at or just looking for certain designs that, that you've seen fail a lot? Maybe they just don't try to stay away from. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the first thing you're going to look at is weight. I see a lot of, a lot of units out there for sale that, that just don't weigh anything. And people, if they think they're, that's going to, they're going to no till, it's not going to work the way they think, especially if they're into, you know, following grant and, and they're trying to cut through vegetation, it's just not going to work. Um, the things they really need to keep an eye on would be disc, uh, planting wheels, and inspect a hopper. Uh, oddly enough, a lot of people will leave seed in a hopper. And most of those, most planters have plastic seed cups or seed elements. And if you leave seed in there, mice will chew through those things just to get through to get that seed. So, you know, those are kind of the key things I'd look for. Check the sprockets in the chain, make sure that that, that uh, the unit's going to drive and turn. It, it's just simple things like that. If that all works out, then then typically you, you're, you're okay with the unit. When you start to see the market for no-till drills and cedars, things of that nature, you see a pretty large variance in cost. I mean, in terms of there's, they're just kind yeah, of, you mentioned can, they're not cheap. Yeah, they're not cheap. But is there are, when you're paying more, are you always getting more? You mentioned the quality of the construction, you know, the, the thickness of the materials and the weight. Is that what you're paying for? What what are you really paying for? <laughs> what are you paying for? Good question. Yeah, well, I, and and I I uh, I get that question a lot. Why is our machine more expensive than another machine? But if you if you look at the market, you're going to have our machine and some more of the the ag style planters are at, at a certain level in in pricing and then you're going to have some low end competitors if you look at the low end competitors typically they're less weight they're pretty flimsy uh the side plates where you typically have have the strength of your machine the frames are pretty flimsy they're not solid steel they're tube steel if you look at the elements where the disc hangers are where the the uh, packing wheels hang a lot of times those are are they're not cast, they're steel, so they're going to bend real easy. There's there's a lot when you look at the quality. And you can't necessarily tell by looking sometimes. I've been, I just got back from the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. And you walk through and there's some pretty low-end drills that look really nice. But when you know what you're looking at, you know, you, you start looking at the thickness of the steel, how much tube steel there is, how much this or that, you know, where are the grease points. You start looking at all these little things and, and you notice that there's there's less lesser quality, if you will. You know, and another thing is a lot of these lower quality drills are coming in from China. They're coming in from India. You know, you got to worry about warranty. You got to worry about parts. You got to worry about technical support. You know, we, we all have to deal with those kind of things. If you call AT&T, I'm dealing with somebody, you know, somewhere uh, other than the United States, typically. You know, if you're having a planter and you're out in a field and that, 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 that machine's having issues. You don't want to deal with somebody in China or India, not to not to beat up on them, but it's just a lot of times with, with us, you're paying for quality, but you're also paying for that that back end support. support you know, we sale. we've got we've got close to a million dollars in parts sitting here. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got generally we have machines in stock this year and last year's been kind of a challenge, but 
you know, we, we do, we have parts, we have technical people, uh, you know, and you have continuity, you have consistency in manufacturing, you know, you have quality control. If a machine's built today, it's going to be in the same quality as a machine uh, that you see next week. We have engineering and testing and safety standards. You know, a lot of those things uh, are, are built in the price. There's a cost uh, to manufacturing. And, you know, and it's not to say you can't go on, you know, you can't go on Craigslist or eBay or someplace or Tractor House or wherever and find a find a used drill where somebody cut it, took an ag drill, was 30 feet and cut it down uh, and, and made you a drill. Yeah, that's that's true. But when that thing breaks, what are you going to do? Right. Uh, right. Sit in the field, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we talk about that all the time on here, man. Point after sale is a huge deal. Being able to call somebody, get a real person on the phone, troubleshoot that issue, and get done. You know, get done what you needed to get done. Mm -hmm. If folks do want to follow along with you guys, see what's see what's new, what's coming out, whether it's no till or uh, the other products that you make, what's the best way for them to do it? Follow your website, social media, website, and social media. We try to stay stay on top of it. RTPoutdoors.com or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, folks, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our show sponsors. This segment was brought to you by First South Farm Credit. What does a farm mean to you? Maybe it's just a piece of land where you can go relax or enjoy the outdoors. Whatever the farm means to you, First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. As a successful financial cooperative, First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also by Bucks Island Marine. At bucksisland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. So, Butch, I... I like what Paul said about really paying attention to what your place is like and what kind of soils you have, what kind of terrain you have, what your specific needs are going to be, um, what you're trying to accomplish. Because it's it, at the end of the day, it's not just about the most efficient option. That's a big reason to do this. I mean, when you go from making literally, I mean, you literally make one pass plantings on your food plots and over time, this is going to pay for itself. If I mean, Talking to Grant Woods, he's been able to totally wean himself off of synthetic fertilizers, lime. I mean, he's not doing that anymore. Those are passes he's not having to make. That's that is uh, inputs he's not having to buy. If you didn't have to do that over years and years, and that's how long these things are going to last, decades, it's going to pay for itself easily. Uh, when you start to look that. at the cost of fertilizer and things of that nature, that's just the economic side of it. Then you look at the time savings of just doesn't take you as long right. to plant. I mean, and then the environmental I, factors are a huge factor for me from what I've learned from Grant, which I'm, I haven't got, I have not immersed myself as much as you have, but um, just seeing his videos and the podcast that you and I did with him, him talking about, you know, just grabbing clumps of dirt and just worms falling out and stuff like that. I've never seen that on my place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we like, we've talked about it this a lot. We want to leave it. 
we want to leave it better than we better found, than we it. found so, it. Yeah. So, you know, like initially I just, I just think like, okay, well, wider's better, bigger's better. But then at the same time, you got to think like, I don't know. I think about some of those plots you have at your place where you're planting in between fruit trees and, you mm-hmm. know, an eight, an eight footer might not even fit through there. So yeah, most of our bow fields would be tough for an eight or a 10 footer. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just getting through a little, yeah. just a little woods a little trail, trail. To get back there too, to, to plant it, you know, um, you really got to pay attention to not just the efficiency side of it, but also the application, the overall application and, and what you want to do with it. But yeah, y'all go check out RTP outdoors and Genesis no-till drill. They make some really heavy duty equipment seeing that stuff in use definitely a good option to check out well that's gonna wrap it up for us this week appreciate you joining us we want to make it easy for you to listen so here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 again just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 you'll join our email list And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Sunland show is brought to you by Fatatas Defense. The Fatatas Defense PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision System simply the best in class night vision systems ever built contact katanasdefense.com to learn more katanas defense masters of darkness and also alabama farmers co-op alabama farmers cooperative has been serving gardeners farmers and everyone in between for 85 years visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also, the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, First South Farm Credit. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, lowering your cost of borrowing. Check them out at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They're an equal housing lender.